The economic world, well, heck, the whole world, is under a lot of tension right now. Some of it is due to what could be called normal ebbs and flows, but a much larger part is due to what I would call artificial tinkering. For many different reasons, not always motivated by personal profit, these tinkerers utilize various regulations and laws, international agreements or treaties, and commercial, academic, or political power to disrupt and manipulate otherwise natural economic activity. Now, are we doomed to forever twist in the wind because of these tinkerers? Or are there hazardous steps that we can all take to insulate ourselves from their machinations? Let's see if we can explore and figure out an answer to that question as we have another hazardous conversation. Trigger warning disclaimer. Hazardous conversations pushes rhetorical boundaries for acceptable political discourse. Listening to this program could have the uncomfortable side effect of provoking deep intellectual inquiry into foundational principles of liberty. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, first things first. Thank you to everyone for listening to the episodes I have put out thus far. I'm very grateful that you are taking a chance on me, and I hope and pray that I'm making that gamble worth your time. Also, a very humble thanks for the feedback I've been getting. Queen Reba, Jim Johnson, and others, thank you for your kind words and encouragement. Hopefully this podcast will continue to grow, and that will be because of you, the listener. Now, economics. No, this isn't going to be a heavy economics episode where we delve into all of the various forces and mechanisms at work causing all of the financial uneasiness in the world. First off, I'm not very qualified to get into all of the minutiae that exists in that world. And second, I believe that doing so is a distraction and wasted energy. That's not a knock to anyone who happens to enjoy such endeavors, or dare I say, even those that have made such endeavors their chosen profession or vocation. It's just not my bailiwick, and I simply see it as an unnecessarily overcomplicated mess. No, what I'd like to do in this episode is steer clear of the hows and whys of the current economic mess as much as we can, and talk more about the possibilities for escaping it, again, as much as we can. In reality, this is going to be much more of a philosophical discussion than anything else, since it's about reimagining, or rather returning to, a way of living that just isn't lauded in today's world. And some call it sustainable living, or being self-sufficient, or living small. But whatever you label it, it's about equipping yourself and your family to live as free as possible. Not free from work or risk. After all, we hold that liberty is hazardous. But we can do things that allow us to be free from being paralyzed by that worry or risk. Now, in full disclosure, I admit that I have not myself gotten around to doing many of the things I'm going to be talking about. Yet. My family is relatively new to this journey, and a journey is just how we look at it. As Emerson put it, life is a journey, not a destination. Well, other than our ultimate eternal destination. But that doesn't mean you don't set goals and achieve them. Just as you never stop learning and realize that things don't happen overnight, at least not all the time, and that you don't have to have everything in place or all your ducks in a row to begin. 
After all, it takes a lot to break down the life you're used to living and rebuild one that you may know very little about. So what exactly am I talking about here? Well, why don't I start by saying what I'm not advocating per se. I'm not a prepper or seeking to live off-grid, though there's absolutely nothing wrong with either of those things if that's your thing. I'm not trying to leave society or get away from people, although we do want our space and privacy. No, what we are after and what I am advocating for is to be able to live as independently as possible, to have as little reliance as possible on other people, entities, organizations, businesses, or governments, to be able to produce as much of our own food as possible, to be able to make or at least repair our own clothes, and to not have our lives at risk of being shut down or severely disrupted when the tinkerers decide that they must tinker, no matter how they go about it. So how do we do that? Well, depending on what level of freedom you're looking for, there are a lot of different ways to go about it. And for each of these different ways, there are numerous YouTube channels, podcasts, books, etc., etc., on how to do it. But honestly, the technicalities and mechanics of doing it, however you choose to, is not nearly as important as getting your head wrapped around the idea of what doing it will look like. The way I think about it, the way I've wrapped my head around it, is in terms of spheres. My family and I are looking to shrink our sphere. Now, by our sphere, we mean the circle of things that intersect our daily lives. What we do day by day. What we eat, what we drink, what we feed our livestock, how we tend to our garden, the books, movies, and music we enjoy. How much of this requires stuff from outside? How much of this stuff could be provided on a more local level? Sure, some of this is the ages-old big box versus mom-and-pop shop discussion, but I'm not really taking a side in that argument. I mean, if you can save money on things you need, who am I to tell you no? But the real question is, is this your only source of these things? When Walmart doesn't have it or won't get it in for several weeks due to a supply chain problem, do you have other ways of obtaining the things you need? How about this? How prepared are you to lose access to end-use products? Now, what is an end-use product, you may ask? Well, just about anything that requires assembly of some kind or is processed in some way is an end-use product. Clothes, technology, furniture, and many foods that we all enjoy are end-use products. Someone else takes the raw materials needed, mixes and processes them, arranges and packages them, and then puts them into stores for our convenience to purchase. Look around you where you are right now. How many of the things you have or are using right now could you make from scratch? How would your life change if you couldn't replace these things? Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I am not criticizing or arguing against the market supplying things which are needed and are in demand. Heck, I'm not even really arguing against the market supplying things which are not needed yet still in demand. 
and consumers should be able to buy the things they need or want at prices that are reasonable. But what I am asking us all to consider is how much of that stuff, stuff we need, want, or rely on, how much is being supplied from producers that are half a state, half a country, half a globe away? In other words, how big is your sphere? Now, in many ways, this is a similar thought process to how one thinks of politics in general. For many of us, we obsess over spheres of politics that have little to no impact on our day-to-day lives. We consume copious amounts of media that keep us focused on national or world events while paying very little attention to what is happening at home. Even consuming so-called local media is hampered by the fact that most of those outlets are centered around larger urban areas. So, while you may live in, say, Bremerton, Washington, your, quote, local media is that of Seattle. And then you have to try and filter out of the bias that goes along with that media. But the fact remains that far more people are far more, quote, informed on national politics, which hardly affects them day to day, while remaining woefully ignorant of the things that their city or county governments are up to, and the fact that they just raised their local sales or property taxes again. How big is your sphere? How much of what you need, want, and rely on comes from half a world away? Because the bigger your sphere, the more susceptible it is to the tinkerer's machinations. The bigger your sphere, the more isolated and alone you become. And the bigger your sphere, the more dependent you are on the rules and operations for doing things, especially in terms of the medium or currency for doing them. Now, I know there's a lot of apprehension over the state of the dollar and inflation and digital currency on and on, And I have quite a few friends that are gaga over crypto. But no matter where you stand on all the various forms of currency, the reality remains that all currency is, when you really break it down, transactable debt. And this may be hard to understand if it's new to you, but there is nothing, absolutely nothing, backing most currencies. And the ones that are tied to some physical asset still only represent a transactable debt against that physical asset. In other words, the currency itself has no value, only the value of the debt that can be transacted against it. We call this fiat currency because it has nothing backing it. So when you hold a $100 bill in your hand, all you are holding is a promissory note of debt owed to you by the federal government. In the past, in theory, you could take that note to a bank and exchange it for $100 worth of gold or some other commodity. And the supposition was, and still is to a large extent, that the gold itself was an intrinsically valuable commodity or asset that could then be transacted elsewhere for relatively the same value. Now, under the way that most of our financial systems work, We all operate under the mutual agreement that the debt we are transacting is valid. That is, that the debtor is good for the debt. 
What has us all so uneasy right now, just as it has in times in the past, is when doubt is cast upon the credit of the debtor. (laughs) Now, folks, in case you haven't noticed, the credit of the United States isn't doing so well. We're printing money like it's candy. We're borrowing money from brutal authoritarian regimes so that we can then return it to them in the form of, quote, financial aid. And we seem hell-bent on doing absolutely everything we can to discourage entrepreneurial development of all kinds. The value of the dollar, the faith in the credit of the United States, is spiraling downward at an alarming rate. So, in such an environment, do we actually believe that our wealth is secure? Well, a whole lot of people are watching their, quote, wealth be frittered away right now as inflation just keeps rising and rising. So you tell me. Now, the way we work it out today, your, quote, unquote, wealth is primarily a function of how much debt is owed to you. Of course, you can have wealth that isn't as directly tied or based upon debt, and that's where I am going with this. But the vast, vast majority of us hold our wealth in the form of debt. And that really is the heart of this problem. How do you store your wealth? See, wealth is like energy, and there really is no such thing as saving it. You either use it or lose it. Yes, you can devise ways to store it for future use, but just like energy, over time it dissipates and loses power. That is why, for the most part, we are so obsessed with accumulating as much of it as possible. We know that it will lose value over time, and we want to make sure that when we need or want to stop producing wealth, we can comfortably survive on the wealth that we have stored. Now, there are many, many different philosophies and strategies for how to best store and even grow your wealth. We call this investing, and as I said, it exists in many forms. I'm not here to try to sell and convince you of any particular strategy, only to suggest to you that the conventional ways of investing may not be that viable anymore. The ability and propensity of the tinkerers to manipulate and destroy your investment is simply too great. That is why my family and I are doing all we can to shrink our sphere and rely on currency as little as possible. We are doing all we can to invest in things which have intrinsic or universal value. Value that is not always tied to the marketplace, but rather to our own needs and uses and useful to those around us. Things which hold that value over time, such as land, or things which help to create or improve the value of other things, such as tools and equipment. Of course, we cannot truly and completely eliminate our need to use currency, and it would be foolish to try to right out of the gate. No matter how self-sufficient and sustainable we become, we are never likely to pay for our daughter's gymnastics lessons in competition with chickens or a goat. Also, there will come a time when my wife and I are simply too old to continue to create the wealth we will be living on. So having some form of investment set aside for those times is wise to do, 
even if that investment never pays out. But even in that, if we have been wise and diligent in stewarding the wealth we are creating and living on now, and we do well at having those investments retain their value, they themselves will become the currency we will need at that point to continue to live comfortably. So, how big is your sphere? How insulated from the tinkerers are you? Just as a bigger house is more costly to insulate well and keep it that way, so too is a larger economic sphere. A larger sphere has exponentially larger amounts of surface area to tend to and guard, requiring more of your time and energy to do so, while leaving more areas exposed. That is not to say that having a smaller sphere requires less time or energy, or is a complete insulator of negative things happening. It certainly is not. But it does mean that the fruit of that time and energy is more abundant long-lasting, and ultimately, satisfying. Let me share with you a biblical perspective I have on this. Now, I know that there are many scriptural passages and principles that this topic engenders, but the one that I keep going back to is found in the book of Genesis chapter 3. For those that know their Bibles well, you're probably thinking, the fall, original sin, what the heck? While others may be saying, yeah, yeah, one of our punishments for original sin is that we have to toil and work. So? Well, yes, that is certainly an aspect of this. But where most theological traditions look at this chapter and hit on all the negative consequences of sin, of which there are many, and some then extend it to the most wonderful promise of our coming Savior, I see here also a paternal loving and care for Adam and Eve to equip them to be able to continue to live in a world where sin exists. Yes, there is punishment, but there is also preparation. It is not just God saying to them, You must now do these things to survive, but also that through them you will not just survive, but also thrive and be content. Now, I cannot speak for anyone but myself. But I have found throughout my life that I experienced the most contentment, joy, satisfaction, and all-around peace when I am toiling for my daily bread. To be productive and meaningful in my efforts. And the more that I can directly tie that activity to the literal attainment of my daily bread, the more satisfying the experience. And if it is done in complete service, not servitude, to others, then that joy increases exponentially. So it is my contention and belief that the more closely I can tie my daily activities, my sphere, to the things which produce true contentment, things which I see spelled out in Genesis 3 and then later in the Gospels through Christ, the more blessed and fulfilling my life becomes. Because in order to do so, I have to completely let go of my plans, wants, and desires. I have to accept that I am not in control of anything. Especially when I surrender that control to the tinkerers. Instead, I acknowledge that it is God who is always in control. And in doing that, 
I am perfectly insulated from the machinations of even the most cruel tyrant or prince in this world. Now, if you are enjoying this podcast, please like it, rate it, follow it, leave me a comment, and most assuredly share it with others that you think might also enjoy it. And thank you again to all those who have done some or all of those things already. So until next week, God be with you all in your daily endeavors. And remember, keep the faith and keep up the fight.